Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Chapter 2, Part 1 The Body Master McMurdo was a man who made his mark quickly. Wherever he was, the folk around soon knew it. Within a week, he'd become infinitely the most important person at Shafter's. There were ten or a dozen boarders there, but they were honest foremen or commonplace clerks from the stores of a very different caliber from the young Irishman. Of an evening when they gathered together, his joke was always the readiest, his conversation the brightest, and his song the best. He was a born boon companion, with a magnetism which drew good humor from all around him. And yet he showed again and again, as he had shown in the railway carriage, a capacity for sudden, fierce anger, which compelled the respect and even the fear of those who met him. For the law, too, and all who were connected with it, he exhibited a bitter contempt which delighted some and alarmed others of his fellow boarders. From the first, he had made it evident by his open admiration that the daughter of the house had won his heart from the instant that he had set eyes upon her beauty and her grace. He was no backward suitor. On the second day he told her that he loved her, and from then onward he repeated the same story, with an absolute disregard of what she might say to discourage him. Someone else, he would cry. Well, the worse luck for someone else. Let him look out for himself. Am I to lose my life's chance and all my heart's desire for someone else? You can keep on saying no, Eddie. The day will come when you will say yes, and I'm young enough to wait. He was a dangerous suitor, with his glib Irish tongue and his pretty coaxing ways. There was about him also that glamour of experience and of mystery which attracts a woman's interest, and finally her love. He could talk of the sweet valleys of County Monaghan, from which he came, of the lovely distant island, the low hills and the green meadows, of which seemed the more beautiful when imagination viewed them from this place of grime and snow. Then he was versed in the life of the cities of the north, of Detroit, and the lumber camps of Michigan, and finally of Chicago, where he had worked in a planing mill. And afterwards came the hint of romance, the feeling that strange things had happened to him in that great city, so strange and so intimate that they might not be spoken of. He spoke wistfully of a sudden leaving, a breaking of old ties, a flight into a strange world, ending in this dreary valley. And Eddie listened, her dark eyes gleaming with pity and with sympathy, those two qualities which may turn so rapidly and so naturally to love. McMurdo had obtained a temporary job as bookkeeper, for he was a well-educated man. This kept him out most of the day, and he had not found occasion yet to report himself to the head of the lodge of the eminent order of freemen, he was reminded of his omission, however, by a visit one evening from Mike Scanlon, the fellow member whom he had met in the train. Scanlon, the small, sharp-faced, nervous, black-eyed man, seemed glad to see him once more. After a glass or two of whiskey, he broached the object of his visit. 
Say, McMurdo, said he, I remembered your address, so I made bold to call. I'm surprised that you've not reported to the bodymaster. Why haven't you seen Boss McGinty yet? Well, I had to find a job. I've been busy. You must find time for him, if you've none for anything else. Good Lord, man, you're a fool not to have been down to the Union House and registered your name the first morning after you came here. If you run against him, well, you mustn't, that's all. McMurdo showed mild surprise. I've been a member of the Lodge for over two years, Scanlon, but I've never heard that duties were so pressing as all that. Maybe not in Chicago. Well, it's the same society here. Is it? Scanlon looked at him long and fixedly. There was something sinister in his eyes. Isn't it? You'll tell me that in a month's time. I hear you had a talk with the patrolman after I left the train. How did you know that? Oh, it got about. Things do get about for good and for bad in this district. Well, yes, I told the hounds what I thought of them. By the Lord, you'll be a man after McGinty's heart. What, does he hate the police too? Scanlon burst out laughing. You go and see him, my lad, said he as he took his leave. It's not the police but you that he'll hate if you don't. Now take a friend's advice and go at once. It chanced that on the same evening, McMurdo had another more pressing interview which urged him in the same direction. It may have been that his attentions to Eddie had been more evident than before, or that they had gradually obtruded themselves in the slow mind of his good German host. But whatever the cause, the boarding housekeeper beckoned the young man into his private room and started on the subject without any circumlocution. "'It seems to me, mister,' said he, "'that you are getting set on my Eddie. "'Ain't that so, or am I wrong?' "'Yes, that is so,' the young man answered. "'Well, I want to tell you right now "'that it ain't no manner of use. "'There's someone slipped in before you.' "'She told me so. "'Well, you can lay that she told you the truth. "'But did she tell you who it was?' "'No, I asked her, but she wouldn't tell.' I dare say not, the little baggage. Perhaps she did not wish to frighten you away. Frighten? McMurdo was on fire in a moment. Ah, yes, my friend, you need not be ashamed to be frightened of him. It is Teddy Baldwin. And who the devil is he? He is a boss of the Scourers. Scourers? I've heard of them before. It's Scourers here and Scourers there, and always in a whisper— "'What are you all afraid of? Who are the scourers?' "'The boarding-house keeper instinctively sank his voice, "'as everyone did who talked about that terrible society. "'The scourers,' said he, "'are the eminent order of freemen.' "'The young man stared. "'Why, I am a member of that order myself.' "'You? I would never have had you in my house if I had known it, "'not if you were to pay me a hundred dollars a week.' "'What's wrong with the order? "'It's for charity and good fellowship. "'The rules say so. "'Maybe in some places, not here. "'What is it here? "'It's a murder society. "'That's what it is.' "'McMurdo laughed incredulously. "'How can you prove that?' he asked. "'Prove it? 
Are there not fifty murders to prove it? What about Millman and Van Schorst and the Nicholson family and old Mr. Hyam and little Billy James and the others? Prove it. Is there a man or woman in this valley that does not know it? See here, said McMurdo earnestly. I want you to take back what you've said or else make it good. One or the other you must do before I quit this room. Put yourself in my place. Here I am, a stranger in the town. I belong to a society that I know only as an innocent one. You'll find it through the length and breadth of the states, but always as an innocent one. Now, when I am counting upon joining it here, you tell me that it is the same as a murder society called the Scourers. I guess you owe me either an apology or else an explanation, Mr. Shafter. I can but tell you what the whole world knows, mister. The bosses of the one are the bosses of the other. If you offend the one, it is the other that will strike you. We have proved it too often. That's just gossip. I want proof, said McMurdo. If you live here long enough, you will get your proof. But I forget that you are yourself one of them. You will soon be as bad as the rest. But you will find other lodgings, mister. I cannot have you here. Is it not bad enough that one of these people come courting my Eddie, and that I dare not turn him down, but that I should have another for my border? Yes, indeed, you shall not sleep here after tonight. McMurdo found himself under sentence of banishment, both from his comfortable quarters and from the girl whom he loved. He found her alone in the sitting room that same evening, and he poured his troubles into her ear. Sure, your father's after giving me my notice, he said. It's little I would care if it was just my room. But indeed, Eddie, though it's only a week that I've known you, you are the very breath of life to me, and I can't live without you. Oh, hush, Mr. McMurdo, don't speak so, said the girl. I have told you, have I not, that you were too late. There is another, and if I have not promised to marry him at once, at least I can promise no one else. Suppose I had been first, Eddie. Would I have had a chance? The girl sank her face into her hands. I wish to heaven that you had been first, she sobbed. McMurdo was down on his knees before her in an instant. For God's sake, Eddie, let it stand at that, he cried. Will you ruin your life and my own for the sake of this promise? Follow your heart. Tis a safer guide than any promise before you knew what it was you were saying. He had seized Eddie's white hand between his own strong brown ones. Say that you'll be mine, and we will face it out together. Not here. Yes, here. No, no, Jack. His arms were round her now. It could not be here. Could you take me away? A struggle passed for a moment over McMurdo's face, but it ended by setting like granite. No, here, he said. I'll hold you against the world, Eddie, right here where we are. Why should we not leave together? No, Eddie, I can't leave here. But why? I'd never hold my head up again if I felt that I'd been driven out. Besides, what is there to be afraid of? Are we not free folks in a free country? If you love me and I you, who will dare to come between? You don't know, Jack. You've been here too short a time. You don't know this Baldwin. You don't know McGinty and his scours. 
"'No, I don't know them, and I don't fear them, and I don't believe in them,' said McMurdo. "'I've lived among rough men, my darling, and instead of fearing them, it has always ended that they have feared me. Always, Eddie. It's mad on the face of it. If these men, as your father says, have done crime after crime in the valley, and if everyone knows them by name, how comes it that none are brought to justice? You answer me that, Eddie.' because no witness dares to appear against them. He would not live a month if he did. Also because they've always their own men to swear that the accused one was far from the scene of the crime. But surely, Jack, you must have read all this. I had understood that every paper in the United States was writing about it. Well, I have read something, it is true. But I had thought it was a story. Maybe these men have some reason in what they do. Maybe they are wronged and have no other way to help themselves. Oh, Jack, don't let me hear you speak so. That is how he speaks, the other one. Baldwin, he speaks like that, does he? And that is why I loathe him so. Oh, Jack, now I can tell you the truth. I loathe him with all my heart. But I fear him also. I fear him for myself, but above all, I fear him for father. I know that some great sorrow would come upon us if I dared to say what I really felt. That is why I have put him off with half-promises. It was, in real truth, our only hope. But if you would fly with me, Jack, we could take Father with us and live forever far from the power of these wicked men. Again there was the struggle upon McMurdo's face, and again it set like granite. No harm shall come to you, Eddie, nor to your father either. As to wicked men, I expect you may find that I'm as bad as the worst of them before we're through. No, no, Jack, I would trust you anywhere. McMurdo laughed bitterly. Good Lord, how little you know of me. Your innocent soul, my darling, could not even guess what is passing in mine. But, hello, who's the visitor? The door had opened suddenly, and a young fellow came swaggering in with the air of one who is the master. He was a handsome, dashing young man, about the same age and build as McMurdo himself. Under his broad-brimmed black felt hat, which he had not troubled to remove, a handsome face with fierce, domineering eyes and a curved hawk-bill of a nose looked savagely at the pair who sat by the stove. Eddie had jumped to her feet full of confusion and alarm. "'I'm glad to see you, Mr. Baldwin,' said she. "'You're earlier than I had thought. "'Come and sit down.' "'Baldwin stood with his hands on his hips, looking at McMurdo. "'Who is this?' he asked curtly. "'It's a friend of mine, Mr. Baldwin, a new boarder here. "'Mr. McMurdo, may I introduce you to Mr. Baldwin?' "'The young men nodded in surly fashion to each other. "'Maybe Miss Eddy has told you how it is with us,' said Baldwin. "'I didn't understand there was any relation between you.' "'Didn't you? "'Well, you can understand it now. "'You can take it from me that this young lady is mine, "'and you'll find it a very fine evening for a walk.' "'Thank you. I am in no humor for a walk.' "'Aren't you?' "'The man's savage eyes were blazing with anger.' "'Maybe you are in humor for a fight, Mr. Border. 
That I am, cried McMurdo, springing to his feet. You never said a more welcome word. For God's sake, Jack, oh, for God's sake, cried poor distracted Eddie. Oh, Jack, Jack, he will hurt you. Oh, it's Jack, is it, said Baldwin, with an oath. You've come to that already, have you? Oh, Ted, be reasonable, be kind, for my sake, Ted. If ever you loved me, be big-hearted and forgiving. I think, Eddie, that if you were to leave us alone, we could get this thing settled, said McMurdo quietly. Or maybe, Mr. Baldwin, you will take a turn down the street with me. It's a fine evening, and there's some open ground beyond the next block. I'll get even with you, without needing to dirty my hands, said his enemy. You'll wish you never had set foot in this house before I am through with you. No time like the present, cried McMurdo. I'll choose my own time, mister. You can leave the time to me. See here. He suddenly rolled up his sleeve and showed upon his forearm a peculiar sign, which appeared to have been branded there. It was a circle with a triangle within it. Do you know what that means? I neither know nor care. Well, you will know, I promise you that. You won't be much older either. Perhaps Miss Eddie can tell you something about it. As to you, Eddie, you'll come back to me on your knees. Do you hear, girl? On your knees. And then I'll tell you what your punishment may be. You've sowed, and by the Lord I'll see that you reap. He glanced at them both in fury. Then he turned upon his heel, and an instant later the outer door had banged behind him. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.